You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Fantastic. It's so good to be here. Uh, we, our family moved about a year and a half ago uh, to America. God spoke to us and uh, I'd been traveling as a full-time itinerant for about five years from Australia. Uh, God just spoke and said, uh, move to America, move your whole family to America. Um, I, I've got, I can't help this, don't hold it against me, okay? I'll always be an Aussie at heart, okay? It might be the wrong crowd to say that to, but anyway, <laughs> I can't help it. I lived there for 40 years, but I've got a confession that I have to make. After living in America a year and a half, I'm actually now legitimately 8% American, 8%. See, because when I first arrived a year and a half ago, I was about 100 kilograms. Now I'm about 109. So this part here was born in the United States of America. <coughs> I'm trying to kill it in Jesus' name. I tell you, the burgers. Anyway. Uh, but uh, it, for those that weren't here this morning, uh, just really quickly, my, my story, I was addicted to drugs for about 10 years of my life. I'm 13 to 23. I had drug-induced psychosis. I was hearing voices. I was suicidal. Uh, had an auntie that prayed for 17 years. Never give up on praying for someone to, to meet Jesus. And, and through after 17 years of prayer, I had a radical encounter where in one moment, God set me free of every addiction. He set me free of mental illness. And I just believe that tonight, for some people, is going to be a moment just like I had 17 years ago. Because it's not cliche when we say, one touch from heaven can change everything. You might be suffering with something, you know, really detrimental on the inside, but one word from heaven can literally change everything. And uh, I want to preach about faith, a message called Get Out of the Boat. Uh, Everyone say, get out of the boat. (coughs) Uh, Really quickly, I do have this in particular... Uh, is, is a CD of my whole story. If you weren't here this morning, you can get this and listen to it, but its real purpose is for you to give to somebody else. Somebody that will relate to my story of addiction, mental illness, suicide. And I've just seen so many people get born again through someone taking the step of faith to give this to someone that needs it. Uh, so you can get that. Or then there's a, uh, a download card with 14 messages. If you get a download card, you grab a CD as well. Uh, Probably the biggest step of faith I've ever taken was to move to America. When you're an itinerant, you sort of need people to know who you are so that they invite you to come. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we moved to America where nobody knew who we were, but God said, go. And I'd love to use that story to illustrate, but it's sort of like a cake in the oven that's not quite yet cooked. Do you know what I'm saying? So you just need to give me a little bit longer and I can produce that story, but we're still making the cake. Uh, so if I go back a story before, I was the campus pastor for James McPherson on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, life was good. We're living 12 minutes from the beach. I was uh, running a great campus of probably 1,500 people. And God spoke to me and he said, I want you to step away from your paid pastoral position. And I want you to just go on the road to wherever I call you to go. And I spoke to Pastor James and we agreed it was God. And I also agreed that I would do six more months as the campus pastor to make sure it was strong and wait for the next guy to come. Can I tell you that that six months was probably the most scary six months of my entire life? Because I would lay in bed every single night. Here I was quitting this amazing job that I dreamed of to step out in faith. And I would lay in bed and fear would nip at my heels every night. And thoughts like, what if nobody invites you to preach? What if you can't afford to feed your children or to pay the mortgage? 
What if you go somewhere and preach the worst message that's ever been preached? And somebody puts it on Instagram, hashtag worst sermon ever. I'll be finished before I even start. And literally for six months, it would nip at my heels. And can I tell you, the last seven years that I've been traveling full time all around the world has been the most amazing adventure that I could have ever, ever imagined. I've literally been to countries all over the world. I've seen more than 10,000 people give their lives to Jesus. I've seen thousands of people have radical encounters with the Holy Spirit. Probably my favorite story, <coughs> I was at a, a, a retreat. I do some of these like freedom weekends and I was at a retreat. There was about 30 people and the leaders told me this lady was coming and she had had anxiety so bad that she couldn't leave the house for almost a year. She would just leave, you know, every now and again when she could work up the courage. She had two beautiful little girls. She was married. She came to the retreat and they'd already told me about her. I met her before we did the first session. She also began to share her struggle with me and her story. And I did the first message, which was sort of about letting go. And I would then go and pray for each of the 30 people and lay hands and believe for God to do something. I went to her first because I thought, well, this is easy because I actually already know her problem because she's told me, so I'm going to go to her first. And as I'm walking toward her and I'm getting ready to pray for anxiety to leave, as I'm walking towards her, I'll never forget it, as strong as anything, I hear this voice that says on the inside, anxiety is not the problem. It's what her dad did to her when she was a little girl. And now my heart is beating out of my chest because what if I'm wrong? And she's got her eyes closed and I'm... I share that word and I say, I just felt the Holy Spirit say that actually anxiety is not the problem, but it's what your dad did to you when you were a little girl. And as soon as I said those words, the floodgates opened and she began to weep uncontrollably. I then so clearly saw this picture of God the Father and he was holding her as she wept and her head was on his chest and he was holding her so tight and I shared this picture and now she begins to cry even more uncontrollably. It was one of those ones where snot was, you know, going from the sea. You've got to pray like that. Anyway, <clears throat> I mean, I'll pay a price, but not that price. <laughs> and, and so I kept praying and other, then some other ladies came and prayed and I moved on and prayed for everyone else. And I'll never forget it. We're sitting, having supper, hot chocolate and some biscuits. And she comes and sits across from me and she says, Lucas, when I was two years old, my mother abandoned us. She left us with my stepdad and he sexually abused me my entire childhood. She said, I've always believed in God and I've gone to church when it, you know, here and there and when I could. She said, but the thing that I could never ever grasp is whenever they spoke about God as a loving father, I could never see it. And then as a tear rolled down her cheek, she looked at me and she said, Lucas, tonight I saw him as my loving father. You know, sit here. The rule is if one person claps, everyone has to clap. That's the rule tonight. Don't leave a brother or sister hanging. And, 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 you know, the amazing thing is that lady now has no anxiety. That lady isn't just on the welcome team at her church. She runs the welcome team at her church. I get to watch her through Facebook. There it is. One clap again. I'm sorry. I get to watch her through Facebook. I get to watch her through Facebook and, and, and watch her at birthday parties. And, and when I think of this story, I can't help but think, imagine if I'd never went. Imagine if I had have allowed the fear to stop me from doing the thing that God was calling me to do. I mean, I was already doing something for God, so it was very easy to justify. But imagine the adventure that I would have missed out on. I didn't even finish grade 10 and I've traveled all around the world. 
Imagine the people that would have missed out on the thing that God had put in me, but it was actually for them. And when I think like this, I'm sure it'll be true for you, is that when you look at seasons in your life that become incredibly fruitful, you can often trace them back to a risk. You can often trace them back to a moment where you did something you wouldn't normally do. You took a risk, a leap of faith. Maybe it was to get married or maybe it was to start a business or get involved in a ministry or, or, or to sow an offering or maybe to buy a house or go back to school. Maybe, excuse me, maybe it was to finally ask her out. Hello, that could be a word for someone tonight. But so often you can trace fruitfulness back to a risk. I want to look at the story of Peter. We're going to get the scriptures in a moment, not quite yet. But let me just tell you the story. I'm sure many know it. But the disciples are in a boat and they see Jesus walking on the water. They were afraid because they thought he was a ghost. Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, call me to come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. He eventually takes his eyes off of Jesus. He begins to sink. But Jesus puts him back on the boat and they all begin to worship. God gave me this prophetic sentence. It doesn't normally happen like this for me, but this prophetic sentence, and later I'll I'll share a prophetic picture that actually birthed this entire message. The sentence is this, that most water walking experiences will eventually become your boat. Most water walking experiences will eventually become your boat. What do I mean by that? is what starts off as a water-walking experience. You've never done a business. You've never been married. You've never had children. You've never served at church. You've never spoken publicly. What starts as a water-walking experience will actually eventually become your place of comfort. Because we're called to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory, that, that, that we take a step, but eventually we grow into the step and then we're ready for another step. And, and I want to <coughs> ask this question and I want to answer it. There were 12 leaders in the boat, not just 12 leaders, the 12 leaders, 12 men of faith. All of them had left their vocation to follow Jesus. Twelve men that loved Jesus. Let's just pretend Judas did because it makes the message easier. (laughs) Twelve men that loved Jesus, twelve leaders, twelve men of faith. My question is this, why was it that only one hopped out of the boat? And don't you often have twelve people in church that all love Jesus? Twelve people that have been people of faith at one time. But I tell you, there's that one person that just keeps stepping out of the boat, that just keeps seeing the favour of God, the miracles of God. And I want to answer that question. But before I do, I want to do something that they'll never teach you to do at Bible college. I want to work the text backwards. Is that okay? I'm a little bit Irish. I want to work it backwards. And then I want to answer that question. Then I've just got three quick practical things. But at the end of the story in Matthew 14, 32 and 33, I want to make some observations and I'll answer the question. 32 and 33. Now remember... Peter's already stepped out. He's already begun to sink, okay? So there we go, verse 32. It says, And when they climbed into the boat, because he's already sunk, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Just as an observation, every single time a believer steps out of the boat and walks on water, it always results in other people worshipping Jesus and declaring, Truly, you are the Son of God. See, we need a church 
that isn't just good at singing about all that Jesus can do. We need a church that would show Auckland, hey, look at my life. Have a look what Jesus can do. Watch me out of the water. And it always results in other people worshipping and declaring truly He is the Son of God. Verse 30 and 31, just another observation. It says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I love this word. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. He caught him, you little faith. Why did you doubt? I'm so glad that this is included. Because who knows that this moment of Peter sinking would not have made Peter's insta feed. Who knows we would not have seen the moment where he began to drown. What we would have saw was the selfie with Peter out of the boat, Jesus in the background, hashtag who needs a surfboard. (laughs) But I'm so glad that this is included because what it tells me is that you don't have to be perfect to do something awesome for Jesus. That you can have moments where you mess up. You can have moments where you take your eyes off Jesus. And we don't serve a God that says, right, now I'm going to teach you a lesson. We serve a God that says immediately He picks Peter up and He puts him back on the boat. Verse 29, it says, come, He said. Then Peter got down to the boat, He walked on water. You may have heard a message that the thing that actually held Peter above the water was that he stepped on the word that Jesus said, come. See, you can't walk on water and do the impossible without having an intimate moment with Jesus where you hear him say, come. I couldn't have just went to America and it's been one of the craziest seasons of our life just because it was a good idea. It came out of an intimate moment where he spoke to my heart and he said, come. I'll come back to that point in just a moment, but here's the answer to the question. How is Peter different to the 11, verse 28? Lord, if it's you, (coughs) Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Quite simply, the difference between Peter and the rest is that Peter had a spirit that said, call me to come. Peter had an adventurous, faith-filled spirit. Peter had a spirit that said, I'm not going to settle with mediocrity. I'm going to do something amazing. Jesus, call me to come. Peter had a spirit of faith that said, call me to come. See, I believe that Peter didn't walk on water because of predestination. So in other words, if Andrew had have got in first, Peter, uh, Jesus, call me to come. Jesus wasn't going to say, I am sorry, brother Andrew, but it is Peter's destiny to walk on water. See, I believe they could have been the first ever Jewish Olympian synchronized water walking team. (laughs) All 12 of them could have joined arms together and said, come on, let's all walk on water. But only one had a spirit that said, call me to come. Only one had an adventurous spirit that actually wanted to get out of the boats. The reality is most of us don't want to get out of the boat. We like singing about getting out of the boat, but actually getting out of the boat is a little bit different because it makes you uncomfortable. See, remember that that, that, the the observation I made just before about you've got to hear him say, come, before you can get out of the boat. But there's a lot of Christians that have lived their whole life in the boats and it's Jesus' fault because he never said, come. I can't. Make him say, come. It's his prerogative. He is God. What I can do 
is make sure I have a heart and a spirit that keeps saying, call me to come. Come on, Jesus, I want to do something crazy for you. And when you have a spirit that says, call me to come, more often than not, you'll hear the words, come. Let me make it really practical. Uh, Legacy offering, I think that's what we call it, is coming up soon. You might have given in the past. If you prayed this kind of prayer, it comes from a spirit that says, call me, come. If you have prayed this kind of prayer, Jesus, I want to give more than I've ever given in my life. I want to give something that actually scares me a little. Do you know what he'll say? Come. We often don't hear it a lot because we don't pray that kind of prayer. And then it's Jesus' fault. Well, he never said come, but you never prayed that kind of prayer. See, I can't control what he says I can and can't do. But what I can control is make sure I keep a spirit that just keeps saying, come on, Jesus. I want to stay adventurous, faith-filled. Let me give you three things that keep us in the boat. And then we're going to really pray for people tonight. The first thing that keeps us in the boat, me included, is comfort. The comfort of the boat. If you're ever out in the ocean... Standing on those wooden, sturdy decks makes you feel pretty comfortable and safe. You know, the, the word picture that God showed me that, with that sentence that gave birth to this message, he showed me this picture of a boat. And it was a smaller boat. And when you step out of the boat and you walk on water, then eventually a new boat is formed, but the next boat is always bigger. There's a little bit more favour. There's a little bit more influence. I'll come back to that in a moment. When I first stepped out of faith, the biggest step of faith right in the beginning, we didn't have children. I was a youth pastor and they were paying me $50 a week. I was on the big bucks. And, and my wife and I both felt called to leave our jobs as a carpenter and teacher to just live by faith on $50 a week. In that year, supernaturally, we were given more than $35,000 of unexpected finances. And people come and say, wow, you're an incredible person of faith. And of course it took faith, but let's just get real for a moment. In that stage of my life, I didn't have children. I was living in someone else's house that someone else owned. I was renting it. The car we drove was an absolute bomb. So yes, we stepped out. But what was the worst that could happen? It didn't work. And I go back to the same life. Do you know what I'm saying? I had nothing to lose. In other words, the boat that I stepped from was like a rowboat. It didn't even have a motor. But see, the more you step out, the more favour and blessing that starts to, starts to come. But the danger with that, you get to a point in your life where you don't want to step again. Because the boat you're in now is a little bit too comfortable. I remember when God said, move to America. And after five years of traveling around Australia, my, my itinerary was booked a year in advance. I was preaching at some of the greatest churches. I was earning more money than I've ever earned. I was 12 minutes from the beach in Mooloolabar. I was, uh, you know, we had a swimming pool, a four-bedroom house. Where people knew me in my nation. When, I, when God says, go to America, when nobody knows who you are, it was the first time in my life I was like, but I like this boat. It's really nice. And comfortable. And I tell you, there was a temptation to not step again. But I refuse to stay in the boat because God's got another boat. God's got more favour. God's got more blessing. God's got more influence. But it's on the other side of your step of faith. Comfort kept them in the boat. The second thing that kept them in the boat 
is that they watch their leader with a spectator mentality. See, think about it. 11 of the 12, they were watching Jesus. They were sitting there and they're like, they're, they're talking to each other. They're like, seriously, did, did you know we could do this? Have you ever seen him walk on? Can you believe that we are watching Jesus walk on? This is unbelievable. Front row seats to watch Jesus walk on water. They were spectators. You know, there's a scripture that speaks about faith and it talks about the, the men, of, men and women of faith that have already gone to be with Jesus. And it calls them a great cloud of witnesses, which is really a great cloud of spectators that are watching the people on earth run their race of faith. See, the only time that you are called to be a spectator is when you have breathed your very last breath and gone home to be with Jesus Christ. If you're still on this planet, I'm here to tell you that you're in the game called faith. You're in the game where God's calling you to step out of the boat. See, how was Peter different? Peter didn't watch as a spectator. He watched as a participant. It's like, hang on a second. If Jesus can walk on water and he's my leader. Well, if I just do the things that Jesus has been telling me to do, then why can't I walk on water too? See, Peter watched as a participant. You don't understand how blessed you are in this house to have such incredible preachers like Pastor Luke and Pastor Paul and Pastor Marie and many others. Right, But if you come to church as a spectator, you won't change one single bit. But when you come as a participant, Jesus, speak to me about one thing that I can do different on Monday. It, when you start living like that, you'll be someone that walks on water. Last point. Just if the musos want to come. And this is the big one that I want to sort of really hit and pray into. I actually believe that this thing that I'm about to speak at now is probably the greatest enemy of the church. The thing that keeps us in the boat is fear. We actually don't realize how much fear dictates our decisions. Even our relationship with God the Father, we see so much of it through a filter of fear that distorts our communication with Him. Especially in the current climate of terrorism and just different things that have happened, fear stops us so much. See, remember I said, I can't determine whether or not he says come, but I can determine whether I have a spirit that says call me to come. I could do a little test, I won't do it to you, but let me tell you what it is. Because all of us would sit in this room and go, hey, I've got a spirit that says call me to come, I've got an adventurous spirit. Because of course we're going to say that. But a, a way that you can test yourself whether you do or not is by looking at the type of prayers that you pray. Because are you just praying all the safe prayers? There's nothing wrong with them. But they're the ones where, Jesus, I need you to do this. And Jesus, could you make this happen? And Jesus, I need a car. And Jesus, I need a partner. And Jesus, I need some money. Nothing wrong with those prayers. But are there any prayers that you're praying that you might actually be the answer to the prayer? In other words, Jesus, use me in my workplace to tell everyone about Jesus. Jesus, would you use me for the legacy offering to make an incredible dent in the Kingdom of God? Jesus, would you use me to bless that family that can't afford groceries? See, I can tell whether you have that kind of spirit by the prayers that you pray. But if you don't pray dangerous type of prayers, if you're ruled by fear, you'll never pray those type of prayers. And then you'll never hear Him say, come. 
See, how was Peter different? How was Peter different? Because it doesn't say, we didn't read it, but if you look just before the text, it says, they saw Jesus, they thought he was a ghost. And it says, and they were all afraid. It doesn't say the 11 were afraid, but Peter was a man of faith. There's nothing wrong with experiencing fear. It's a part of our fallen human condition. There's only something wrong with acting and responding out of fear because it's the opposite of faith. But Peter was afraid too. It says they were all afraid. So at the start of the journey here, Peter's like the others. He's afraid. But if we fast forward to what we know in the text, to here, Peter's walking on water. What happens? He takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. So if I read between the lines in this story, how was Peter different? Peter had a moment where he went from being afraid to locking eyes with the King of Kings. He locked eyes with the great I Am. He locked eyes with the Son of God. He locked eyes with Jesus. See, the way that you overcome fear is you have to lock eyes with Jesus Christ. Lock eyes with His Word. Lock eyes with His Spirit. Lock eyes with His presence. Can I tell you that the last almost two years of my life moving to America has been the hardest two years of my life. It has been the most scary. God's done, I can tell you, so many miracles. But I can say this to your hand on my heart. I've been a Christian almost 19 years. I have never prayed more than I have in the last two years than in the whole 19. And I'd love to tell you, that I'm doing it because I'm this man of prayer. I'm so far out of the boat that if I don't keep locking eyes with Jesus, I'm gonna drown in discouragement. I'm gonna drown in lack. I have to keep getting up every morning and saying, hey, Jesus, You are the one that called us here. You're the one that opens doors. You're the one that provides for my family. You gotta lock eyes with Jesus. <coughs> Last story and then we're gonna pray. It was a few years ago, as I was traveling by faith and living by faith as an itinerant, and my wife at the time was a teacher. She was a substitute teacher or a relief teacher. And in Australia, you can earn pretty good money. She could earn about $350 a day. And I would always put this pressure on my wife. Have you rang enough schools? Have you tried to get enough work? And even when I was doing it, I knew it was fear-based. And I knew it was wrong, but I never admitted it because I'm a man. <laughs> and that's what we do. We, were, we watched this video series at home by Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. He's probably in the world the greatest teacher on generosity and giving and faith and just incredible. And we watched this whole series on giving, just her and I at home. Think about that. You only watch that kind of series if you've got a spirit that says, call me to come. I know what happens at the end of the movie. Like there's not a dramatic twist. And he says, keep all your money. Do you know what I mean? I know, I know what's coming. And we watch and he talks about giving. And he talks about the tithe, which belongs to God. And we've done that for 19 or so years. He talks about over and above. You might bless a, a friend or a sponsor child or whatever, give an offering to help something or whatever. 
And then he gets to the third one, which we just do every now and again, called over and above. Oh, sorry, called extravagant giving. And it's best shown in the Bible where the lady breaks open a year's wages worth of perfume just to anoint Jesus for burial. In today's terms, that perfume is worth somewhere near fifty dollars to $100,000 in one moment just to anoint Him. You know who got upset? Judas. Don't get upset when people talk about offerings because you're in the wrong company. You know, the reality is people have been getting upset about offerings since the very first family. Cain killed Abel over an offering. And it got to this moment at the end of the video where talked about extra, extravagant and we looked, I looked at my wife and I thought, and we've done this many times, but just every now and again. And we're like, oh, here we go again. I said to my wife, I said, let's take a couple days and we'll pray and see what God wants us to do, how to respond. And in my mind, I said, God, let her be the one that says it because it's normally me. As soon as I said that, she speaks out loud and she says, God's already told me what to do. Completely out of pride in my mind, not out loud because I'm smart. In my mind, I said, she'd never give as much as me. She, she was earning about seven, eight hundred, anywhere between seven and nine hundred dollars a week. She looks at me, she says, two months ago, God told me to give my whole year's wages to help rescue sex slaves. I said, get behind me, Satan. That is from the devil. The next day I was doing a three-day fast. I said, I need to pray about this. When I pray and fast, I do my best to, to pray three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, where I would have been eating. And when I pray and fast, I always pray for brokenness because it's what I feel called to do, to minister to brokenness. And I get to the first day and then the second, sorry, first day, first meeting, second meeting, third, it always gets a bit hotter. By the end of the first day, I justified, I went to my wife, I said, look, I feel like you were half right. We're not gonna give the whole year's wages, but one day a week, 350 bucks every, every week. I felt good about it. Gets to day two, prayer session four, five, six. I'm like, God, please use me to minister to brokenness. Use me to help people that are depressed. Use me to help people that, that are full of anxiety, trapped in addiction. Gets to day three, prayer meeting seven, eight. By the time I get to nine, I'm like, Father, please. God, use me to, to unlock people from prisons, people that are broken and trapped and I'm, and I'm weeping and I'm crying in God's presence. And here I am, I'm weeping and crying to be used to help people that are broken. And I realise here's my wife, she wants to give her whole year wages to help release the most broken of all. And now I don't know if I'm crying because of brokenness or crying because we're gonna have to give the whole year's wages away. I went back to my wife and I said, you were right. That was hard. <laughs> Maybe harder than giving the whole year's wages away. Wasn't it? I went back and it was term two, similar to New Zealand, we have four terms, it was term two. So she was gonna do it for three terms. For term two, every time she got paid, 700, 800, 900, whatever it was, we would tithe first, because that went to the house where we were fed. And then the 90% we said, sent, to a ministry that was helping rescue sex lives. We did it every single week, every fortnight that we got paid. It gets to term three, and I take her on her first overseas trip, we go to Europe. 
We go to Paris in England for two, three weeks. We come back in week four and the thing with relief teaching or substitute teaching, whatever we call it here, is if you don't keep saying yes, they move to the next person on the list because they want the first person they call, yeah, I'm good. We get back week four, nobody calls. Week five, nobody calls. Week six, nobody calls. Week seven, week eight, week nine of term three. Week nine, I I say to her, you haven't worked the whole term. And in that moment, I just knew that I knew for what we're called to do with me being away all the time, sometimes for two weeks, three weeks, you're not meant to work. You know, there's nothing wrong with two people working, but just for what we were called to do and for Jackie to be able to look after our children and me being away all the time. You know, from that moment that we decided to give a year's wages, what I was earning went up more than the amount that she was earning. And I didn't do one thing different. It didn't make sense here and fear would have kept us still in the boat. But God had a better boat. God had more favour. God had more blessing. God had more prosperity. But it was on the other side of a faith step. So often fear stops us from stepping in. I really believe that it is the biggest enemy of the Kingdom of God. Even in this room, I wonder if we could really see all the moments where we've let fear stop us from doing the thing God's called us to do. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.